Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The text for our sermon this morning uh, is from the gospel reading from John 14, but also we keep in mind Stephen and how Stephen received um, the Lord's deliverance from this veil of tears and Stephen's words, Lord, um, hold not this sin against them. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We hear in the gospel reading, we hear Thomas express his objection to Jesus' words about going to the cross, about dying to ourself. Then we also hear in Philip's objection to Jesus, or his request of Jesus, to make the faith simple. To make the faith, I guess a word better than simple, to make the faith easy. And we know that as long as we look at ourselves, we see nothing but sin, we see difficulty, we see sadness, disappointment. But when we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we see a victorious Christ who has made us a place in his Father's house to give us encouragement and strength to face the dark days. Jesus' words today are quite apropos, are quite fitting. Let not your hearts be troubled. They're quite appropriate as we this morning are still reeling from yesterday's shootings. Only a mile or two from us. We've heard of these things happening across the country, across the world, whether it's a rifle, a car, a knife, the tools of an abortion doctor. Evil knows no mercy. You never think it will happen to you. In the Gospel according to St. Luke in chapter 13, Jesus was asked about a tragedy that took place in Siloam. The nearby area around Jerusalem, a tower had fallen and people died in what seemed to be a random event. Jesus was asked about this tragedy, this accident, and Jesus answered, Do you think they were worse sinners than you? No. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Every national tragedy, every time we hear of senseless violence, every weather event, every time the vulnerability of life is on display, Jesus says, let this remind you. The Christian faith, faith in me, Jesus says, it's the most important thing in your life. Were those who died at the Allen Outlet Mall Worse sinners than us? No. Let not your hearts be troubled. Our gospel reading in John 14 is also quite fitting. It's Monday, Thursday. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. They've had the Passover meal. Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper. He's given the disciples exactly what they need. Right after our reading, Jesus is going to continue to teach the disciples some important teachings on doctrine to help them stay faithful in the days to come. 
Our reading today in John 14 is Jesus comforting and equipping His disciples for when they will witness the greatest tragedy of all. When everything they thought was stable and level and easy comes to a crashing end in the death of Jesus. Jesus is teaching them how to stay faithful. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. Because the disciples, they will see Jesus being beaten. They'll see him crucified. They will see him die on the cross, and they're going to be tempted to give up. They're going to be tempted to think evil has won the day. They will be tempted to fear the Jews. They'll be tempted to fear the government. They'll be tempted to fear the unknown. They will separate themselves from one another out of fear of gathering together, as we heard of Thomas. All the disciples will abandon Jesus. The prophet Zechariah said, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Jesus, as we hear in the reading today, makes it plain. He will leave them. He will be gone from their sight. He will be buried. But notice that Jesus is not panicking. Jesus is calm. Jesus is locked in on the cross. Jesus is on point because we need him. This night, the night our reading takes place, is the night that all creation had been longing for since the fall of sin and death in the Garden of Eden. It was a night of tragedy. A tragedy of biblical proportions. A tragedy spanning heaven and earth and even hell. A tragedy that is also a paradox. Right? A paradox is two things standing next to each other that, that are true but shouldn't be. The tragedy that took place on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday enables God to use death for his purposes. Jesus' victory over death, his willingness to submit himself to the jaws of death show that death is not victorious. Death is not the thing which we should fear in this life. But as the disciples and all the people were fearing all these other things, Jesus feared his heavenly Father. Jesus feared God above all things. And so he was able to go to his cross. He was able to look <clears throat> death straight in the face and be faithful. He was able to do this for us. So today on the fifth Sunday of Easter, we go back to this night on Monday, Thursday, when Jesus teaches us that everything will go according to his plan. He will give himself up. It will look as if the devil wins. But Jesus teaches us the disciples, teaches the disciples and us how to see his death. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus takes death and he uses it as that which he, as the tool to which he will bring us to himself. Where death seems to be the ultimate separation, Jesus says, no, I will use it to bring you to myself. 
And even as we are disturbed at, at the sound and the hearing of innocence and death, people dying, if they were Christians, we know that God has answered their prayer that they've prayed in the Lord's Prayer, hopefully every day of their life. Deliver us from evil. As we mourn with the families and cry out to God, Lord, have mercy, we remember that God's will is always good. We remember that God can even use tragedy to deliver us from this veil of tears. As scary as that might be, Jesus says, take heart. But the disciples are still perplexed as we are. Even as they hear Jesus say, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be raised. The disciples are still perplexed, and even us hearing this Easter message, we are still perplexed. Listen to Thomas as he questions Jesus. Jesus says, you know the way where I am going. Jesus has foretold this. And I have to give Thomas credit for being blunt. <laughs> Jesus told them he, the way in which he was going to happen and how it was going to go. Jesus directly told them, and Thomas directly contradicts Jesus this next second. Jesus says, you know the way. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way. <laughs> and so often we do the same. We know how Jesus expects us to live our life. We know how Jesus expects us to act with one another, what we must do as Christians if we desire for him to bless our lives, if we desire for him to bless our families and our church. How can we know the way, Lord? It's so hard. How can we know the way to navigate this life with shootings, with family troubles, sick parents, kids that live lives of sin, church disagreements, Lord, we don't know the way. It's too hard. The way is Jesus and what he teaches us to do when life is chaotic. First, you pray. You pray for yourself. You pray for your kids. You pray for your church. You pray for your enemies. You pray earnestly. You confess your sins to one another. You first repent and remove the log out of your own eye. You turn off the screens in your homes and you open your Bibles. You teach your kids about Jesus more than you root for them at their volleyball games. You are more faithful in church attendance than you are to sporting events. More than you encourage your friends and family and your kids to be good students at school, you encourage them first to be students of their Savior. And perhaps we also reflect and remember we do that by example. Because you see, that's what led Thomas and Philip to their questions and doubting of Jesus, is they forgot his word. Right? You heard that in Jesus' rebuking and correct, not rebuking is too hard of a word, when Jesus corrected them. You heard my word, Jesus said, in his reply to Philip. They had taken God's word for granted. 
They thought the Christian life was one of ease, to be comfortable the whole time. Thomas directly contradicted Jesus' statement because he didn't remember all the times that Jesus told them where he was going and how it was all going to take place. He would be crucified, buried, and raised, ascend to God's right hand, and send the Holy Spirit. Jesus had taught them. Then Philip. Philip objected to Jesus as well. He did it in a little more, in a different way. Philip said, Jesus Just show us the Father, and that's enough. You see, for Philip, the words that Jesus taught weren't enough. Philip wanted more. Philip perhaps wanted something that was more appealing. Philip wanted something easier to follow. Philip wanted something that was easier to follow than following Jesus to the cross. And we do too. Because you see, there is no other way. Jesus is the way, and you can't have Jesus without the cross. The cross where you also die, where you die to your sin. Unless you pick up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of me. When you were baptized, you were given this duty to daily confess your sins and rise to new life, to walk in new life. We must, as God's people, do the hard things. We must, as his church, do the hard things. We must talk to one another. We must be in our community. We must be a voice of life. We must be a voice of encouragement. But we must first confess our sins to one another in our lives, in our homes, in our church. For we are not the enemy of one another. Even the person who takes innocent life is not our enemy. The person in the pew next to you is not your enemy. For we do not fight against flesh and blood, but the spirits and principalities of this fallen world. You cannot fight the enemy if you're afraid to pick up your cross. You cannot face the enemy if you cannot face your fellow human beings. You cannot face the enemy if you cannot face your brothers and sisters. We saw the enemy yesterday on the news, on YouTube. The enemy is roaming around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and he hit close to home. God permitted this to remind us each of repentance. To examine our lives according to his ten commandments. Not examine someone else's life, but to examine your own. Philip wanted what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Philip wanted to see the Father, right? It sounds so great. Jesus, just show us the Father and that's enough. Philip wanted to see the Father and then to be on cruise control the rest of his life. Philip wanted to see, but then not have to do the hard things. Philip wanted everyone else to do his bidding, even Jesus. Jesus, just show us the Father, that's enough. Jesus patiently answers Philip. You've, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Jesus teaches Philip patiently. Philip, you know what I've taught. You know what I require of you. You must follow me to the cross. Because my friend's grace is not cheap. It's costly. It costs you your pride. It costs you your arrogance. It costs you your gossip. It costs you your time. But it is a pearl of great price. The forgiveness of sins is that for which you must be ready to set your nets aside and follow your Savior. The gospel is that for which you must be willing to leave your tax booth that you are so comfortable sitting in. It is whatever you love more than Christ, including yourself. Jesus is your refuge. Because just as he was raised from the cross and did great things and forgiving his disciples in coming to them after he was raised from the dead, he came to them and he forgave them. Jesus today, did you hear at the end of our reading, he says and promises us that we will do even greater things. Philip wanted an easy one-time event in his life, perhaps when he makes Jesus his Lord and Savior, and then that was it. But costly grace, that grace which Jesus gave his life for, is a grace that we are to daily seek after. Again and again and again, we must knock at the door of our Savior for him to give us his forgiveness. And you will find shelter in his mercy. We find a place with none other than the God who allows no sin, no death. He demands perfection. And we find that in Jesus. We find our refuge. In Jesus, we have a room in the Father's house. By his shed blood on the cross, we have that place of assurance. We have that place of protection. The place that Jesus has made for you is fully prepared. You have nothing to fear. He's done all that is necessary. He shed his blood and paid your ransom from the devil from all your sins. He forgives you because he's already died on the cross. There's no need for you to wallow in your sins. He's baptized you into his family. And in his father's house is your place. What is the source of your troubles? What is the source of your anxiety but unbelief and fear? What is it that bothers you? Is it not that we so often think like Thomas? We don't know the way. Meaning, we don't know Jesus. And are we fearful of death? Is it that we're like Philip and we expect the Christian faith to be easy? There's even forgiveness for that. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. There's Jesus' promise. You will do great things. You will forgive your enemies. You will come to find rest for your weary hearts. 
There's Jesus' promise. Let not your hearts be troubled. Alleluia, Christ is risen.